This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. Mendelssohn, author of the Regency Heiress Romance Spring Flowering, is joining us again this week to talk about some of her favorite historic novels featuring lesbians or bisexual women. Welcome, Farah. Hello. So tell me about some of your favorite historic stories. Okay, so the one I picked as one of my favorites is Ellen Galford's Mull Cutpuss. Oh, yeah. Which I don't know how many people will have read because it's not in print anymore, as far as I know. Although I think it might be available in ebook. It's set in 17th century London, and I've also already mentioned that the 17th century is an absolute passion of mine. It's actually the Restoration period. And Mull Cutpuss is actually a character originally devised by Daniel Defoe, who I think is so much more interesting than most people realise. <laughs> he was a social satirist. A lot of his stuff is uh, taught straight, when actually it's more like Dickens. It's more it's coruscating criticism of society. But he has his character, Mull Cutpuss, who is um, a thief, a runner of thieves a general bad girl who dresses in men's clothing and smokes a pipe and ellen galford who's a feminist writer who did most of her writing in the late 80s wrote this lovely take on her in which she's essentially a very butch lesbian very sweet shy 16 year old who is terribly jealous of a man who seduces the girl she loves until she meets the, the um, apothecary's daughter who says, actually, I much prefer women and let me show you what be, having a woman's body can be like. Uh-huh. And what I loved about it was it's not a com- coming out story in the conventional sense. There is none of this discussing, oh, we are this separate thing. It's much more, this is something that women do, and some women only do it, and some women do things with men too. But here is how we can enjoy ourselves. And that within the thieves' society, they set up a relationship that everybody around them respects and just kind of takes for granted. And in terms of the 17th century and the Restoration era, to start with, there is a man shortage. I don't know if most people realise this, but the death rate of men in the English Civil War is higher than in the First World War. Mm -hmm. It's something like one man in every 10 is dead. Wow. Okay. There's lots of surplus women. Peeps talks in his diary about desperately trying to find a husband for his his sister. Dowries are shooting up. Um, one of the things Defoe talks about in Mole Flanders, that's a book that's often described as a romp, but it's actually about the sexual exploitation of a young girl in a period when men can have their pick and do. And the king, of course, is setting the tone. Yes. And again, that's, that's often written about as if that's nice and jolly. Although I find it fascinating Victorian writers don't approve, but writers of the 60s often do. Actually... It's a nasty, exploitative period. And one of the things Galford manages to do is to show how the relationship between the two women helps protect them from that. Uh That it actually gives them family, community, people to be with. And it's just lovely. And I love the fact that it's, it's not 
explicit in the pornographic sense but there's a scene in it when Mole's lover whose name I can't remember I'm afraid is touching her breasts and lifts her breasts in a way that struck me as a very female or female thing to do mm-hmm. that sense of feeling breasts as kind of part of somebody mm-hmm. rather than just kind of admiring them looking at them in the way you find in a lot of heterosexual romances uh-huh. the only way I can describe it is you can feel the weight of Mole's breasts in her hand and that sense of of weight of them is I don't know whenever I read lesbian erotica that's one of the things I always see that I don't see in heterosexual erotic and romance if that makes sense that, that physicality <laughs> of the female body uh-huh. I, I just love the book Oh, and it ends with the traditional scene of Moll Cutpurse in the pillory, and she has to give this speech, and she turns it into what we would now think of as almost rap music. <laughs> you know, because uh, in the 17th century, we start to see the convention of the confession speech. Yes, and it's yes. a genre in itself. It really is. There's a lovely book called The Victorian Invention of Murder that talks about this. And in this book, Moll Cutpurse uses that to talk about herself, to frame herself, to narrate herself in, in what we would now think of as quite a postmodern way, but is actually more common to the 17th century than it is to the 19th. Yeah, and another thing I love about stories about Moll Cutpurse is that the historic figure, to the extent that we have information on her, was just as wonderfully outrageous. Oh, she was clearly a character. And one of the other things about the 17th century, of course, is that the second half from the Civil War onwards is the period of news scenes. It's when newspapers are growing up and they start to, to create what we would now call celebrity culture. Yeah. They start to write about the likes of Mole and the likes of Mole realise that they can use the newspapers. They can use these journals. And you can see that lovely give and take. She is not a victim. She creates herself. And Ellen Galford really puts that over. Yeah, and there's not just in England, but in the 17th century, um, there, there's uh, Spanish examples where using the culture of celebrity was a way of protecting yourself if you were a gender outlaw. Absolutely. You become bigger than life. You become somebody that they can't touch because the stories are so wild they cannot possibly be true. Uh-huh. And that's a very good way to hide reality. So I, I think you mentioned there was another of Alan Galford's books that you really enjoyed. Yes. When you first suggested this to me, I didn't quite realize you wanted historical novels. I thought we were just on the romance. And I adore Fires of Bride, which does have a historical element. So that's about an artist who paints these amazing pictures of saints for her first exhibit and then loses all kind of impetus and takes up an offer of a female Scottish doctor to go and reside in this woman's castle. It's all terribly (laughs) gothic, where they have a torrid romance for the winter and then get bored of each other. And the doctor moves her into an area in the island where she starts creating artwork from bits of scrap metal. And then they discover the old abbey that was there in the early medieval period, the kind of the last outpost of Christianity before it's nothing but dragons and sea monsters. <laughs> and they discover the buried skeleton or the abandoned skeleton of a young woman. And we get flashbacks into the Viking raid that destroyed the convent. Yeah, I thought I remembered the historic part. Yeah, and there's, there's romance in there and a real sense of women as a community and things that really comes through in that book is women acting for each other 
So at one point, the local tourist factory essentially gets taken over by a women's co-op to turn out political <laughs> Scottish tea towels, uh, talking about witch burnings and throwing stools at, at priests. So the, although there are men in the book, the entire book is very woman-centred. The men kind of, of, of drift to the background right the way through. And there are several torrid romances in it, and there is also love. And what I loved about that book is they're not the same thing. And I find that really interesting, because I'm very much somebody for who, who decided in her life that torrid romance and love and actually getting on with my, my life didn't necessarily go together. <laughs> <laughs> quite like a quiet life, thank you very much. And this book, I think, very much tackles the different ways of, of loving and the different ways of being in love in ways that are just fantastic. And again, it's very earthy, it's very physical. I think I'm very attracted to writing that gets the physicality of women. So a book that I love but never quite fell in love with was Tipping the Velvet. Uh-huh. And I don't think I ever quite fell in love with Tipping the Velvet because it's almost too unphysical for me. And I know there's descriptions of sex in there, but what there isn't is that sense of the scent and feel of a woman, that there isn't that visceralness. And what I look for in romantic writing is that connection to the visceral. And and we're not talking erotica here, just just that sense of, of the other person's physical being that I think Alan Galford gets beautifully. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing some of your favorite books with us. All the books that were discussed here will be linked in the show notes for people to follow up on them. And thank you again, Farah, for joining us on the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon.